Welcome to My Limited View with Sergio Novoa and Vanessa Wilkins, where we share stories and expand our views. I flirt with my therapist. Stop giving your love. This one time on Muni, your parents love you. He was my first. Life is good. It felt like home. Secrets. We all have a story. What's yours? What's yours? What's yours? What's yours? All right, everyone, welcome back to My Limited View. I have a very special guest tuning in today. She is a comedian, a professional speaker, author, and disabilities advocate. She travels the country performing at comedy clubs, colleges, and keynoting at conferences. She is also part of the comedy troupe, The Comedians with Disabilities Act, which brings laughter and awareness to audiences of all ages across the country. So please help me in welcoming our very talented guest, Nina G. Hey, Sergio. Great to be here. Thank you for doing the podcast. How, how are you surviving quarantine life? You know, I spent a lot of time right here in this chair um, in my kitchen in Oakland, so this is this is it so you're like yeah but you know otherwise it's fine it's fine oh that's good you have written a book i mean you've done quite a bit you've actually written two mm-hmm. books yes two books one oh, is yeah. a is a ch- 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 children's book and the other is my me- memoir ah i love it memoir at such a young age you have so much more to tell <laughs> young age whatever <laughs> <laughs> hey we are men have a delusional self-confidence that women are not aware of. <laughs> so all the ridiculousness things we say and do, it's because we have this crazy delusional self-confidence. So you stutter. Yes, and- I do. Uh, I was just gonna say, and you're gonna hear a lot of it because this week's been a lot. And um, and I think I mentioned to you last night when we talked that I'm just gonna let the stuttering flow. There are certain habits that one does to 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 try to get get out words like sometimes I'll kind of hop around like nah, 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 Nina, to just get it out no no you guys are just gonna get raw so stutters in part because I have to um try to get out of those bad habits and and stutter more flu, 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 fluidly so that's my goal stutter more fluidly <laughs> yes when you think about it <laughs> So how old were you when you realized you were different? Well, I guess the difference came, and I don't know, I was two and a half when my parents brought me to the doctor because when I would ask for chicken from my mom, I would make this sound. And for cheese, I would do. And my parents were like, maybe that's not normal. Me, you know, it's why kids chirping. And so they brought me to the doctor and I was a late talker. And what was going on was it was an early sign of a central auditory processing issue. And the best way I have to explain that is Charlie Brown's teacher. So you know how Charlie Brown's teacher would do wah, 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 wah. And people could understand and they were communicating, but for me, the sounds were not discriminating in my brain. And so I wasn't hearing things clearly. So I wasn't saying things clearly. This was an early sign of dyslexia. Oh, so I've never seen Charlie Brown. Oh my God. I mean, I've seen like the little commercials (laughs) and I've seen things. Yes, the teacher's not on there. Wah, wah, wah. I've heard that sound somewhere. I yes. probably, I should probably watch Charlie Brown. Nah, you're fine. You're fine. If you've made it <laughs> the, the, 
this far not understanding what popcorn and jelly beans mean, you're fine. Your hearing was fine, but somehow yes. what the message you were getting was not quite what was being said. Yes, oh. that is a perfect explanation. So it would reach my brain, but my brain wouldn't process it in the way that it should be processed. Mm, and so I, it would get confused. Oh, I had this issue with reading comprehension. I would read the pages, oh. but my brain was not getting, I was like, I don't, I read it. I just don't know what I just read. <laughs> yes. Um, no, and, and see, and this is where dyslexia is so misunderstood because there, there are so many aspects when you read, there's the comprehension piece. There is the perception of the uh, letters piece. There is the sounding out words piece. And in dyslexia, any of those things could go wrong. Um, and, and I have a little bit of all of those. And so that early talking eventually turned into that. And then in, and that came out in, in third grade, because in third grade, you go from learning how to read to reading to learn. So that's when dyslexia pops up a lot. And that was about the same time that I also started to, to stutter. I think that I started to stutter when I was seven, just based on the reaction from other people. But I don't remember stuttering till I was eight. Got it. Now that you mentioned other people's reactions, as we all know, kids can be cruel and just uninformed. What was it like? Uh, going hold on, hold on, hold on. No. Catholic school teachers can be oh. assholes. Let's, well, <laughs> because I, I think, I think kids, <laughs> kids always get like, kids always get the shaft. And like, and I, I think a lot about bullying and, you know, we're in comedy. Like there's a certain amount of bullying in the world, but I really feel that when kids are bullied, it's because the adults are the ones who are setting a shitty example. And for me, I went to Catholic school and I always say that you should never pity me for having dyslexia or for stuttering, but you can pity me for going to Catholic school in the 1980s because that fucking sucked. So, so there's that. As soon as you say Catholic school, you just open and I was like PTSD happening to me. I was like, uh, and I only went for like, I only went for like, I think till the second grade, but yes, I don't, I'm, oh. it's like, gee, folks, let me see. I have a learning disability. I have a speech issue. Why not make her life a little more complicated and throw her into <laughs> Catholic school at yeah. guilt and shame and <laughs> double it up. Oh my yes. God. So what was it like? Which, going which like, I, I, you know, it, it, it's my parents. They are both Italian Catholic and they're, and they're not from there, but my grandmother came over on the boat when she was three. So it's like, we're super, uh, uh, American Italian, but nonetheless, they thought that the safest place for a girl would be in a Catholic school for a boy, probably not, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> little do they know all the Catholic school girls I knew were wild. When you said your grandmother came on the boat, was it the Nina La Pinta or La Santa Maria? <laughs> It, well, I don't know what it was. <laughs> it was, <laughs> but yeah, no. <laughs> uh, so, what was it like going to school and having the this kind of a? Did did you find barriers? Were you aware of any barriers at that time, or obviously, because oh. as, as an adult, we <laughs> yeah. can we can rationalize our 
traumatic childhood, but as a child, yeah, we lack the maturity. What was it like for you? Um, so I would be at the kitchen table with my mom who would help me through my homework. And like the second night of third grade, I had three hours of homework, which oh probably, I, yeah, no, it was, it was awful. And then like, and that was the norm. And I had a teacher who's once told me, one of the parents, I don't want my, I, I, for all of the kids in my the, the third grade class, I want them ready for the Alamo. I, I don't know what that means, but she wanted to toughen them up. And like the dad who she said that to was like, I just want my kid ready for the fourth grade. Like, I don't know why the Alamo Bravo. has to come into it. Bravo yes. to that father for <laughs> understanding a child. I, as someone who had his childhood robbed, I, when mm -hmm. I see kids, I want them to be kids. Just be kids, play, yeah. get in the dirt, whatever you got to do, like just be a child. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Props off to that father. So the teacher. Yeah, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and so what that teacher took a class at Rascob, which is, I live right down the street from now in Oakland. And Rascob was a school for kids who have dyslexia and other kinds of learning d d d disabilities. And she went to a training there and knew enough that I had it, didn't know how to accommodate it or she wouldn't because that would be unfair to the other kids and I just didn't belong in the school. But the thing is, is that my parents fought for me every year. I would sometimes get, get an accommodation from the teachers and some days not. Um, so that inconsistency, I was like, I know the answers to, to this geography test. I can say them, I can point at the map, but I can't spell them. And Got so it. those were the kinds of things. That's still my problem, by the way. So mm -hmm. I can still, I can uh, And that's why map. we have phones. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my spelling because of autocorrect and uh, has gone down to the sh like just terrible. At times I'm like, wait, how do you spell that word? Also, I'm a much better speller if I type because my fingers mm -hmm. have the muscle memory. I started writing yeah. on a pen and paper, which I rarely do. And I was like, wait, how do you spell that word? And I literally <laughs> fingered it out in the air. I was like doing the keyboard. Wow. So the schools were not equipped to handle, not even accommodate. It's interesting when you really think about it, it's this person, the goal of a teacher is to make sure the child gets, acquires the knowledge. And back when I went to school, you know, I also came from the school of sit there because I said, so do it. And there was no, oh, this person has a way of learning. This person has a style, uh, the, a process. Nowadays, I think it's easier in a way because we know so much more about learning mm -hmm. styles. Back then, you know, my teacher would say, read this chapter, you're going to take a test on Friday. I failed every time. I don't exactly. learn that way at all. Yeah. I'm an yeah. interactive learner. We got to talk about it. We got to draw it. I got to teach it to someone, but then I walk away fully informed. And back then I was just trying to memorize and I'm. Yeah. And, you know, and I would love to say that things have changed and things are so much better. Now we have the rights and we have the ADA and we have the, and, and, and we have the Rehabilitation Act and and it ensures we have access to education and access to accommodations for jobs we, we can do. But I did a benefit last night and the high school that it's a Catholic high school that I was not 
admitted to after I went to the elementary school, after I spent seven and a half years in Catholic school. That high school also rejected a 10th grader at the school that, that I did a benefit for. And much like myself, being rejected from that high school because of his L LD put his life on a different track. And for me, going to public school for high school was a godsend because um, I had teachers who understood me more. I was also um, one of many and, and I, and they also had services there and I had an amazing special ed teacher and oh. she changed a lot of stuff. Oh, that's wonderful. You see public school mm. still works people. Public school. I was in junior high and I met Mrs. Holmes, who I am still in contact with. She was a teacher at James Lake middle school. I lived in San Francisco for about a year before I eventually moved here and Fast forward, when I'm on my own, I was 16 years old. I happened to be by the school, so I popped in and I said hello to her. She had me live with her until I got on my feet. And if it wasn't for that gesture, that that kindness, and I, who knows, my life would have been so different because at the time, I was making $4.25 an hour. I was in the 10th grade. I went from being 16 to you're on your own now. You got to figure this out. It was she who kind of gave me a place to stay, eventually connected me to, with someone. And I used to rent a three bedroom flat on 19th in South Venice. There were six people in the room, two people per bedroom. And my rent at that time was $150. Um, wow. But when you're making $4.25 an hour, $150 is a big deal. <laughs> That's a lot. And you're in high school. And <laughs> like I was in high school. You know? I would have to catch the Samtrans bus, catch it right there, uh, 5M or 22D, depending on where I was, go to El Camino High School in South San Francisco, leave that, cross over to Jack in the Box on El Camino and Hickey Boulevard, work until one in the morning, catch the last bus, do homework on the bus, go home. And I repeated that from junior year and senior. I barely graduated, like dragged. My reading skills, writing skills were terrible because I was... I was already functioning as an adult, but yet being 16. Did your teachers know what was going on? No, I was afraid to say anything because I was underage. So I didn't want to deal with, oh, we have a minor living on his own. So I kept it to myself. Oh, yeah. Um, I used my aunt's address in South San Francisco, and I would forge a letter every now and then if I needed to. I wasn't a bad kid. I didn't, I mean, I cut classes here and there, but I wasn't one of those kids who was like, smoking pot or doing stupid shit. I was just, you know, I was a 16 year old trying to navigate as an adult. So if it wasn't for that teacher, my life would have been so differently. And, and she and I fell out of contact, but then I found her uh, a few years back and I call her periodically and I, I got to properly mm -hmm. thank her for mm -hmm. being such a, a, a pivotal person, a key person in that pivotal moment of like, yeah. I could have gone completely south. So I'm glad to hear that you also had someone like that. Yeah, and and my person was and and my person was 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 Miss Bramlett, and she's on my Facebook now. When my book came out, I had a launch in Alameda where I grew up, and she taught me at at Alameda High. And then the next day, I had another speaking gig book thing in 
Calistoga and she was there and she lives in uh, LA, but she did a road trip and followed me from um, the cities. Um, It's that first week of the book launch. Um, And yeah, and as soon, because she was a big supporter of of Biden-Harris and like her mom. And um, and I swear, I'm going to go to the White House. Biden is going to be there because he stutters. And someone someone in in the White House better invite me. I'm saying that right now. And I told Miss, and I texted Miss Bramlett that I that that I'm going to bring her to the White House because um, she loves them and 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 she loves them. Hopefully, she continues to because they prove her right. Um, and um, yeah, so she's just a very special, important. Pr- person in my life if it wasn't for those teachers that I had in in junior high and high school that mm-hmm. you know school for me was an escape of the chaotic home life I had so in school I was like oh I get to be out of the house which is and those teachers were a key so how did you manage because I struggled with different things and I've never been diagnosed as dyslexic but I've read about it I'm like mm, mm-hmm. i think I share some of these things, but I've never been diagnosed. How did you manage at such a young age to try and figure out, were you aware you had a disability? Like, did your mind get that concept? Yeah. So yeah, no, I totally got it because it made sense. Like, I, I think a lot of times parents are reluctant to tell their kids that they have something because they're afraid that they're going to use it as a crutch or that it's going to mess up their self-esteem. My self-esteem was already messed up. And so at <laughs> least. <laughs> don't blame the stuttering, damn it. <laughs> yeah, don't blame the stuttering. It's not the dyslexia. And and my parents are always super open. And, and I am like, be, and and Miss Bramlett had a lot to do with, with 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 me becoming a functional adult, but my parents did too. Um, and uh, and my dad is hard of hearing, and he I, I'm fourth generation d- 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 disabled on my dad's side because he's hard of hearing. My grandfather was hard of hearing, and my grandfather's grandma was hard of hearing. And even though I'm not that. Um, they kind of had a roadmap to understand that. And then my mom's mom had polio. So for her, all this wasn't that weird. And that was going to be my next question. Is this hereditary? I guess, is it on some level? I don't know the number, the statistics that. So both dyslexia and stuttering are, and they're also located in the same half of the brain. Um, so they're both on the left side, um, in the language processing part, but one is in the back, one is in the front. Um, and that's why when you sing and you stutter, you are fluent because that is a different part of the brain. Maybe if I started, I might be able to sing, damn it. Yeah, no, no, believe me. I can't sing. And people, oh, you you should just sing. (laughs) I was like, fuck you, no. It's not guaranteed you're going to have a singing voice. <laughs> you yeah, just want no, stutter. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Fluency and sounding pretty are different. Not quite um, the same yeah. Thing. And so, and, and I, I think I did this at, at your show once, but um, 
Marilyn Monroe stuttered. And that's why she talked like this. Because when you talk like this, you can talk from the right side instead of the left side of the brain. I did not know she stuttered. This is news to me. Yeah. And that little simple trick you just did, that can, you're somehow able to control it? Yeah. um, I'm able to use a voice to be fluent. So it's more of a trick than it is. And, and like, once I was explaining to someone, it was a guy, just a straight guy. um, Already, already uh, about this. Yeah. And so um, when when I said, you know, and I I did the voice, he said, that's very sexy. You, you should talk like that all the time. Ah. And this guy like had his PhD. He was a very smart man on paper, I guess. But yeah, (laughs) implicit bias, implicit bias affects us all. And, you know, it's also that thing of you have this thing, you should fix it. Why don't you fix it? Even if you sound like you're not smart, fix it. And that's a very male thing. I have to catch myself every time I see someone struggling. My natural default is to help. And and that's what I did for a living. I mean, I was a personal trainer. My job was to see people's Mm -hmm. potential and help them get there. So I mm-hmm. always have to catch myself on like, Sergio, no one's asked you to get involved. Like, stop. We still have a long way to go, men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I include gay men in that, in that as well. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so you, you also say that um, there are times it gets worse. It, are there things like, are there things that trigger it for you or? Mm-hmm. And like, instead of saying worse, I like to say more. More. Because there worse implies that there is a value to it. So, and and we already had this talk last oh, yeah. night where I was like, you know, sometimes like the language stuff. And so, um, so I really appreciate you being open to how you say things. Oh yeah. And, act- and actually, I'm really glad I stuck my foot in my mouth because I want anyone listening to be like, we, in our mind, like you said earlier, we want to fix. So if you stutter mm-hmm. more, I would consider that getting worse. In reality, yes. you're just doing it more. So just that simple shift in our brain to be like, oh, it's not worse. She's just doing it more often. Probably stick my foot in my mouth a few more times. By all means, I you love are it. more than free to call me on it because I'm not going to take it personally. <laughs> Hence the name of the podcast, My Limited View. <laughs> <laughs> so when does your stuttering get more? Um. Well... Um, right now I'm stuttering more. I, I, I'm not sure if I said this earlier, but I, I'm about to get my period. Um, so, period. Yeah. Yeah. So my PMS, it's a hormones does something where, um, I stutter more at certain times of the month. And usually I say it like that. I'm not so blame. I'm about to bleed. And that's why I stutter more. Um, <laughs> the bright side, I can still have children. <laughs> yeah. If that's the bright side, I don't know. That's debatable. Yeah, no, my no, it's not. Um, <laughs> and, um, but I love kids just, not my own. Um, and so, and so there's that. Um, and so it, it's this weird thing that I could be stuttering all day long and I get on stage and I don't as much or vice versa. And that's where like, I don't know what my stuttering day is going to be till I open up my mouth to a, a stranger. Like nice. my husband, I don't notice if I stutter or not in the morning um and I think it's just because like he just knows my speech and just is like whatever um 
and but then I think like I notice it more when I'm talking to another person because of that self-consciousness because there's always that bubble that goes around my head whether it's on stage or whether it's in personal life and mostly like on stage I feel the most comfortable stuttering because I'm totally I'm totally in control of 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 the environment and so um I feel really comfortable stuttering there but in my everyday life it's less and it's because of that self-consciousness of like oh my god what do they think oh my god uh. as someone who has encountered a lot of homophobia in the world i have this little bubble and at times i feel sergio you're putting this on yourself let it go and it's a it's a daily battle uh, as i've gotten older i've gotten more comfortable yeah but there's also like yeah there is like that self-talk of come on but there's also a defense and i think if you don't know if you're safe in an environment you should be on guard and i always find that the places where i think i'm safe like oh this is a liberal area this is gonna be great like i did a female comedy thing and it was for a female festival thing and like the woman who was before me did a joke about adhd that was just like really it was a degrading joke and like i was like fuck you i i i come here and i expect to feel safe and i get this shit fuck you and so i um i've i i always find that anytime i start to feel comfortable i need to tighten up on that and it's mostly in places that think that berkeley let's just say berkeley oh, um that <laughs> Been a of worms. That, yeah, <laughs> places that you think are safe and they're not. That's why you just proceed as you need to. And also, this is why representation and exposure is important because yeah. the more they see us, the less weird we are and the less alien we are. So yes. obviously, you've had to be at the mercy of public reaction. Are there things, and you said it earlier, earlier when I said, oh, are there times it gets worse? Are there words that people are misusing in in general when it comes to someone? Now, is a term handicapped? Is that appropriate? Like, I'm not sure what what is the right word. Um, you know, you're confused because it's very confusing, and so okay. it's not my dyslexia. <laughs> Good. No, it's not. It's not. Um, so handicap is the word that we used more in the 1980s. Um, which was an improvement from cripple. I was going to say cripple was the <laughs> so, other word I had in mind. Okay. Yes. Yes. So we went from cripple to handicap to then a person with a d d d disability to a disabled person. And there was that distinction of a person with, because you put the person first but then disabled people were like no i'm disabled in the same way that i'm italian american i'm disabled because it's a culture it's a community and that community ties you in with millions of people in the u.s who are a political body um, and who are protected under the ADA as well as some of the other laws um, and that it's a 
a civil right. And so it varies from community to community and person to person. People who stutter, many are reluctant to say that they are disabled because they don't want to be put into the category of the wheelchairs and the canes and the sign language and i'm like those are the people fucking fought for our rights like if it wasn't <laughs> like, for their extreme or, condition we would not ada would not be worried at and actually um well no 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 it's it it is their advocacy yeah they took over a a, a building in the 1970s a in San Francisco, and you can see all of this in the film Crip Camp, and please put that in the notes because you able-bodied people have to watch this. And they are the ones that we have a civil rights law, we have ramps, we have curb cuts, we have captioning on the TV so that when your partner goes to bed, you can still still watch TV because you can put it on silent and then read it. All that is because of these people way back. I did, um, I did a little research. I think it didn't celebrate its 50th anniversary, the ADA being passed or? or the ADA, it just celebrated the, the, the 30 years. 30, but the Rehabilitation Act, yeah, it's the Rehabilitation Act is 50-ish. Okay, I think that was the and one. And the Rehabilitation oh. Act is a precursor. That's right. That was it. It was a precursor to ADA yes. and, you know, and all these schools that weren't equipped for someone with a wheelchair and you had these really bright students and the schools couldn't even think, why don't we just move the class to the first floor? And then now yeah. because of everything that's been implemented and it was first only like in federal buildings and then it became nationwide where you have to accommodate. And so it was a huge eye opener for me. Again, I'm most days an able-bodied individual. And I'm like, oh, it's not a big deal for me to step off the curb. But when I was a personal trainer and I was training someone who was, you know, up there in age, oh, wait a minute, that's a really scary thought. That balancing and stepping down, we take for granted when we're able. And then yeah. now think a person with crutches, think a person missing a limb, a person with a wheelchair. And I've been fortunate enough to know people that have opened my mind to realize like, oh, Sergio, there are things that are available to you that you don't even think about, like boarding a plane, like how much more difficult it is for someone who has a different condition. And we take it for granted and we see it as an inconvenience. The lowering of the buses, it seems like no big deal to me, but it's a huge deal. So I did uh, do a little research on that and it was quite eye-opening and we need more exposure because the empathy people are lacking is because they're uninformed and that's all it is. Well, and also I think there is another thing that we never talk about, which is this is a population that anybody can join. And if they're lucky, they will join one day because that means that you've lived uh, long enough to, to be hard of hearing <laughs> that um, you have lost function of certain things because of age or because of something else. Um, and, and, and that's why disabled people call you guys to temporarily able, but bodied, which is tabs. So they're like, Oh, oh yeah, cause a tab. <laughs> There's a tab eventually there. There's a tab. Car like crash. Tab. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> that's perfect. Um, and, <laughs> And, and so I think because of that, it's one of the few 
minority groups that you can join in a minute, like literally. And so So, I think it's very intimidating to look at these issues because they're like, oh, I don't need that. Uh, Yeah, you will one day. The proper terminology that's at the moment used, I guess it sounds like there's two persons with disabilities or disabled person. Okay, let me ask you this. If I were to meet a Latinx or a Latino or a Mexican American or a Chicano, what, which word should I use when I meet that individual? So I'm not Mexican, so I don't have an attachment, but I know a lot of Mexican people. Right now, the term that is being used based on my knowledge is Latinx to take away the Latino O at the end that makes it very male centric. So Latinx describes a, a person of Latin heritage, not so much gender specific. That's the way I understand it. For me personally, you could just say Latino and I don't care because I'm like, I was born in Central America, but I know Mexican friends, they have a bit more of an attachment to it or there's some more sensitivity. So I don't know the proper answer. Let's call a Mexican. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And so, and that is the thing is you just ask them, you like, instead of like, 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 are you Latinx? Are you this? Are you that? Are you that? And you go through everything. And, and, and I make the assumption of what to call s- s- someone. Yeah. Just fucking ask. Uh, like, what, what do you prefer as what you have or whatever, whatever the c- context is. Got it. Are there other words that people are missing? So I'm considered t- a tab, a temper, a tab, <laughs> temporarily <laughs> able body, which yes. th- that temporary bar is going down. down. It's gonna, pretty soon it's going to be not so able. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you have uh, able body. It could be whatever the person feels uh, they identify with. Cause I can also see the distinction like, Hey, I'm a person with a disability, but I can run. I can do this. I can do that. And I can see someone feeling like, Hey, I'm disabled. I can't go up those stairs. So I, I, my brain gets that on some capacity. Are there other mm-hmm. words? I know that we can't say midget, right? It's little person now, mm-hmm. like all these little different person. Mm-hmm. So um, what other words are we misusing in society? Oh, retard. Let's, let's just take that off. Let's take retard off, off, off the page. So um, I don't use that hear... word? Oh, yeah. Really? Have you, haven't you been to an open mic? Um... Oh. <laughs> so retard, get it out of your Retard. Yes. And, and, and I will give you an example, my favorite example of when I heard it and it sent me off the rails. Um, I was being asked by a very progressive group to be a speaker. And I talked to the person on the phone. She's like, oh, we just really want differently abled people, differently abled. We really want the differently abled on this and the differently able. She said, did differently abled like fucking 20 times in a five minute conversation and disabled people on the whole don't really use that word I was gonna say, only able-bodied people use that word and <laughs> damn you so, able-bodied people damn you tabs <laughs> Uh, and so in, in the thing is, it's like a lot of disabled people kind of feel like the thing that I have is so bad. You can't even say it like, come on, come on. It's disabled. It's fine. And so, um, but you know, and I also understand there's certain times when that might be used, but this woman kind of was putting that word onto me 
And I was like, you know what? You can just say disabled. That's fine. You know, that's cool. Um, and then at the very end of the conversation, I was like, oh yeah. And stop texting me on, on the platform on, on, on gigs salad. You can just text me on the phone. Um, and she's like, oh, I know that is such a retarded platform. I was like, oh, differently <laughs> able to retard it. Come on. And, um, oh so- my God. <laughs> This was a woman too. It goes to show that just because you're a woman doesn't mean you're going to be conscious. Just because you're trying oh. to hire people that, and and, and I, I think I, on some level I can understand, like when I was producing my shows, I would say, what's not being represented? So I would always mm-hmm. think I have a woman, I have a black woman, I have a Latina woman, I have an Asian woman, I have a white woman. Okay, good. I've got four different perspectives and they're women. Now let me find uh, whatever, a tall skinny man, a short man, an old man, a young man. Like, so I can, as Maybe I could understand that that's mm-hmm. what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I think- Which we, I appreciated, yes. And I Although think, I also was a little bit concerned that they were trying to get me because they wouldn't have to buy a ramp. So I said, you know what? I'll do this with my friend who uses a wheelchair. Is, is that cool? And they had to get a ramp. So they had to get a <laughs> ramp and me and her did it. And we did awesome. Which is, it is, I mean, I have to say that's a struggle. Uh, Jade, who you and I know is a comedian yes, in San Francisco, yes. who's a phenomenal comedian. I wanted to book her many times, but the venues I was with didn't have the proper equipment or mm-hmm. the stage was fragile, whatever, you know, the list was endless. And that's yeah. one of the areas where I started to realize here's someone who is very talented and I can't showcase her talent at most of these venues. Unless yeah. we made a special well, accommodation for her, meaning she wouldn't get on stage, which is not fair to her. She should be on a stage or we lack the equipment or the manpower to pick her up and put her on stage, which is- Well, and we she done. does not have a, 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 a manual chair. She has a, an electric one. So it's 400 pounds. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you guys have, you, you, you will never get her on stage like that. Um, I know that she did buy her own ramp okay. and that's also where, um, disabled people are really good at adapting and to have that conversation to say that, like, what could you do to participate in a different way? Um, because there may be other ways to do that. And I, and I know that she's adapted in many, many ways. And also she's like one of the most physically, like she's the most f- f- physical comic in, in the Bay Area. Even though she is in a wheelchair and, and she, she will pace and she will do all kinds of things that um, most comics don't do so it's also interesting how she has adapted that way um and also all of this has to do with if you can't get onto an entry level show at a local club or 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 a local bar if you can't get on that show how are you supposed to get your netflix how are you supposed to develop yourself as an artist if you can't literally get into the door if you can't literally get on the stage and I think we really need to like I won't like I will be on shows that are not accessible but I will not have a show that is not accessible 
Got it. No, that's true. And there's another eye opener because now I'm, as you were saying this, my mind just started doing a cursory review of all the shows I did. And I was like, huh, how would that person got on that show? How would a handicapped person would, how will a disabled, disabled body? Yeah. You see, there you go. Still not getting the words <laughs> down. Damn it. Uh, this tab, it's a process. Yeah. I mean, it's true. And this is why it's so important that we are exposed to this. My mind was thinking of like shows I did at all the different venues. I was like, that was not accessible. That was not accessible. It's like, oh, we really need to do a better job in society. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that progressive people, like it, it's, it's weird. Like I, I'm white and, um, and, and so like that intersection part doesn't necessarily apply to me, although like whiteness and, and disability is an intersection there, but like, how are you supposed to be integrated as a person if you can't join your activism around uh, around s s s civil rights of your whole self and to bring your whole self into the room and a lot of times we have to check one of our identities i'm sure in the lgbtq community there is a a similar thing yeah. and so i just think that we have to be really conscious that to have a flexible environment and a flexible environment means access to everyone. It's that kind of ignorance and unawareness of, oh, wait a minute, think about that. Think about, you know, a mm -hmm. woman, I always use this as an example. I can go running, I take off my shirt. There's no big issue. The only thing that happens when I do that, I can figure out who the gay men are because they look at me and straight men are almost going to break their neck to look in the opposite direction. They're almost going to run backwards <laughs> to avoid eye contact. And I feel a woman has to think, what time of day, where am I going? Who am I going with if she decides to wear a normal running outfit? And I, and I always tell guys who are like, oh, well, you know, she's overreacting. I'm like, you've never had to think about that. I have never in my entire existence had to worry about a man overtaking me. But a woman who goes jogging has to think about that. And the same mm -hmm. thing with this condition of, of people not being aware. We're so conditioned to see the world through the able-bodied lens that we forget what happens if someone's missing a limb what if they're on crutches what if they have a wheelchair what if they have a physical limitation you definitely feel that even though we've gotten better society as a whole establishments especially ones who claim to be progressive which is this is the thing it's like you can be pro-choice and still be terrible to animals you can be yeah. a cheating husband who volunteers at a, a shelter like we, I think society needs to stop putting people on pedestals and assume that because you do one thing well, that you're going to be an all around kind individual. And that's not the case. Um, I, I also think there is a thing that we put ourselves on that pedestal too, and that we have to be humble in, and, and I think you're a really good example of that. We're like, I'm going to fuck up. I'm going to fuck up. Just tell me when I fuck up and I'll change. And like, and that's a very chill attitude to have. And it's not flippant. It's not like, oh, you know, like I have to do it like this and that you are flatulating yourself. I think that's the right word. I don't think that's farting. I think that's the right word. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't get off on that, but some people get off on that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. <laughs> It may not um, be well, a punishment yeah, for that. That's a whole but... other thing. Yes. And that is fine if that's how they want to do that. Um, 
that is their choice. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you too, how did you get started into comedy? Because the link of someone who stutters, obviously speaking, I can see that being a bit, I mean, that was scary for me. And most of the time I can speak well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for me, I've loved comedy my entire life, entire, entire, entire life. Like when I was seven years old, I had a little stuffed animal pig that I named G- Gilda Ratner. So like it, it started for me very, very early. And like I say that I've been a comedy fan longer than I've had dyslexia and longer than I've stuttered because comedy came into my life first. And so when I was in high school, I wanted to be a stand-up comic and I would call open mics and I would write material and it, and I never got, got up on stage because I thought you had to be a fluent person to do that. And so the dream died. When I was 35, I went to a conference for people who stutter. And when I was there, and you know, and I went on to do lots of other things that people would view as successful, but also kind of um, not living up to the potential that I wanted. And so I went to this conference and I went there kind of more as a professional than as a person. It was a, a national stuttering, uh, association conference. And when I was there, I was exposed to lots and lots and lots of ideas and things. But I remember being in a hotel bedroom at a room party because stutters at this thing party hella hard. We are up till 5am. We are in the hot tub till like all hours drinking all that stuff. It's so much fun. Stutters, Um, they're just like us. They're just like (laughs) us. They want to get drunk and- Have orgies. Hook up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, which like, that's not what it's all about, but you know, it's there. Um, So the thing is, is that when I was at this party and I'm sitting on a bed and I'm looking around at like the 20 people in this room and I saw all of these younger women in the room and I was like I like I would never want them to not achieve their hopes and their dreams and their desires but why have I done that to myself and I really looked at myself and was like I like and that's why my book is called stutterer interrupted because we're interrupted all the time but I learned that I interrupted myself that I interrupted myself when I was talking to people that I felt like I, like I felt guilty that they'd have to sit through my stutters, which like total Italian Catholic shit. Um, And then there was the part of interrupting, like, like I self-interrupted when I spoke, but then it went into my consciousness and to my unconsciousness and how I was just putting other people's needs first and not doing the things that I wanted to do in my life. And so when I got back, I started to change my life. I broke up with a person I had been with for 10 years and just started to reorganize my life. And once I kind of got settled into an apartment and this was about six months after that conference, I was like, okay, 
what is the thing that I've always wanted to do? How should I spend my new life? And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to try co comedy. And I took a class at the comedy college in, in San Francisco. And I did like two terms there. And then I just, just started doing open mics. And what I realized at that conference is as a woman, you know, we, we are expected not to take up space. And I understood at that conference that as a woman who stutters, that was like two or threefold that I was really trained not to. And in comedy, which I love and still love, and I have so much fun doing it, it, it is the act of taking up space. And also I think it's an act of, it's the act of resiliency it's like the one job where like you get knocked down constantly and it's all about getting back up like it is the practice of it is the practice of resiliency every time you are on stage and you can experience it in that set or you can experience it over time it's a whole number of things it's the fact that like dave chappelle does a show or, or a Netflix special, he has to throw all of that out and start new. And that vulnerability of starting new, that only comes from resiliency and it just getting knocked over and doing it again and again and again. So um, yeah, that I, I forgot what you asked me, but um, that is a long <laughs> answer of it. <laughs> not, not only does she stutter, but she's long-winded. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no that, that's totally... why you can't get us started because we'll like really, really talk. I know, <laughs> I know exactly what you what you mean. Though I do tell people, I said, look, I moved out at sixteen. Stand-up comedy is hands down the hardest thing, most bipolar mm -hmm. roller coaster ride, upside down thing I've ever done. And the lows are never as good as the highs, but you never know. I've done a show on a Friday night where it killed everyone, got every little subtlety in my eye movement and mm -hmm. my body, did the exact same show on Saturday. And I was like, uh, is this thing on? Are you guys like, what the, f what the hell's happening? So I'm grateful. And I've always said this, I'm grateful. I didn't try comedy in my twenties. I lack the mental maturity to know what it's like to be in that environment. I see why performers get addicted to things because the first time I did punchline, I was high for three days. I was, I was <laughs> yeah. on cloud nine for three days. And then the, the, the one time, uh, the first time I bombed, it played over in my head and over and over. And I was like, Sergio, you should have known better. And now that I'm older, I was able to control that a little bit, but I thought, oh man, at 20, I would have, I see, I would have needed a downer to bring me down and I would have needed an upper to bring me up. And before you know it, you're addicted. So I am so great. Also, I have more to talk about now. I've done a lot more things. Yes. I mean, a lot of them yes. are around sex. No, and <laughs> <laughs> but that's a still, great start. things I can talk about. <laughs> no, and like, I think that, like, I see a lot of younger people who have like the comedy skills and they have that cleverness and all of that stuff that you need, but it's about, you know, like cooking hot dogs or something like, yeah. like, like it's that life experience really, I think helps you to like, I, I kind of look at comedy and this is like my um, training as a social scientist that life gives you the, the raw, the, the, the data 
And then what do you do with that stuff? And that is the jokes. What I love about comedy is the creating process. You have a concept. I mean, I'm always writing, not writing, I dictate notes because I don't write. Um, but I, I open my little phone and I'm like, da, 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 da. And then the idea is planted. And then it's like, oh, let me play with that a little bit more. And then I look at how a joke started and then where it ended. I'm like, oh my God, this joke has gone through so many transformations. It's like it finally morphed into a concise, boom, solid joke. So I was under the impression when I started comedy that I would have a new five minutes every week. Yeah, unless you don't have a job and all you do is write, it is impossible for you to have a new five minutes. So when my friends would come to my shows every now and then I'd say, by the way, you may have heard some of these jokes. We can create content that rapidly unless this is all we do, which none of us mm -hmm. do. We have a life mm -hmm. outside of this. So I, um, I hear you on, on that end. Um, let me see, if, as far as someone who went through the school system and had hurdles, if you were to give advice to a parent who may be discovering that their child may have special needs or accommodations, what advice would you give to a parent who's looking at their kid and be like, oh, I say the word special, but maybe that's not the word they would use. You know, um, I was asked this last night at a benefit that I did for for the high school that ha it's for kids who have uh, LDs. And one of the dads asked this. And what I told him is that a lot of times we get all kinds of the, the, the therapy. So I was in speech with, when I was a kid and I was in the resource room getting help and I was going to see tutors and there's all of this stuff. Um, I needed to find something I was skilled in on my own. Like it was a separate thing from school. It wasn't going to be reading, writing and math. And for me, I started to work, you know, being Italian, we go to work when they're, when we're nine, but <laughs> we, um, I, I started to work at a daycare when I was 14 and that showed me my self-worth. It showed me that I was capable of doing something outside of school that I was good at and that it eventually developed into going to college and I transferred from a community college to Cal and then went on to a private school for my doctorate in, in psychology. But all that started because I saw that path when I worked with kids and knowing that, knowing which parts I liked and which parts I didn't. And also seeing that when a kid bit, bit uh, another kid, I had to write an accident report. And I remember I did it once and I had to do it three, four times. I was like, how come these three sentences are taking so long to do? And I was like, oh, that's because I have dyslexia. And I always thought it only affected me in school. It doesn't, it affects me all the time. If you're going to a speech and math and reading and writing, those are things that are part of school, but you doing that took you away. It's almost like you found your voice by doing something else. And a lot of people have said this many times, when you do for others, the reward you end up getting is far greater than what you're doing. And I think this is an example of how it played out. By you mm -hmm. doing, actually you were rewarded perfectly because you learned about yourself. So volunteer people, that's one thing. Okay. Volunteer. Mm -hmm. Now, if you were a child who is maybe dealing with a learning disability, what advice would you give to a, a, young, a young Nina G 
that obviously as an adult, we can rationalize our childhood, but what would you say to little Nina? Don't take any shit. That is what I would have said. And when I talk to youth groups, um, that that is the message that I say, but maybe in some other words that- Oh, I think they use the word shit. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you can't, you can't going in, but, uh, um, but that they are, that they understand that they have a voice and if they understood their rights and understood where those rights came from, it can empower them to tell a teacher that what they're doing to them is wrong and what other kids are doing is wrong and to understand that and to also understand that there's a larger community out there that hopefully one day will that that they will find and um hopefully they'll be embraced more or find a path to some other group that 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 they can be embraced in because also and what i'm saying there is the disabled community also has ha, has its problems that I know for people who stutter, queer people who stutter have their own group called P Passing Twice because it's the idea of passing as gay and passing as a person who stutters. And by the way, their mascot is P P P Piglet because he's a gay stuttering pig. Oh, um, I've never seen Winnie from the, the Winnie either. the Pooh. Yeah, that it, I, I I haven't either, other than like little clips. Oh. But um, but they're he's an stuttered. amazing okay. group. Okay, I didn't know he yeah. stuttered or that he was gay. Look at that, it gives a whole new meaning well, to the word gay. And, yeah, <laughs> but it's also it's not obvious that that he's gay, but they've adopted him oh, okay. as gay. Look at the gays um, adopting. And, What's next? They want to get married. It's this just stuttering gaze, yes. Um, and so it's it, that you could the larger group you may not find yourself, but you may find yourself in a subgroup of that. And it's important to know that there's something for everybody. It's out there that it exists. Uh, when you said everything you said right there, the thing that stood out to me the most is finding your voice and me having been grown up in a Catholic home, an abusive home, discovering I was gay, I didn't have a voice. But when I found my voice, it was a bullhorn. And it took a while for me to realize, oh, Sergio, you don't need to shout it. And that was the byproduct of not having a voice. I felt that when I did speak up, I needed to make sure you heard me in the back row. And it was like, as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, okay, easy there. No need to bark. And you integrate that into who you are. Yeah. And that's just what a 19-year-old is supposed to do, yeah. is to try that on and find ways to eventually integrate that in. I mean, I went to Berkeley and women weren't sh shaving their, it's, it's their armpits. And, um, and, and now they're all married to like rich guys and they have kids and they're not the feminists that they were back in high school. I never, I, I be, being Italian, I always shaved. Um, but I also hope that I embodied more of the feminism as I've gotten older than I did back then. Cause you try on did different aspects and it's important to do that at at that age Important. and to also let the kids to do that and you're yeah. and you'll fight with them during christmas but um they'll eventually integrate it in yeah i read something that um 
the reason women started shaving period is because when men went off to war, these razors weren't being sold. So the companies that were manufacturing the razors were trying to figure out who can we attract? How can we sell these? And they started marketing them to women and what? shaving of the legs. And it was like, so before that, shaving was not something women did. And I always find those things fascinating because we, most people follow. And if you don't pay attention, you don't realize why is, why do I believe this to be so? Because it was just passed down to us. So if we could go back to that time prior to men would probably not be grossed out by women not shaving. Some people need to do a little trimming. I'm all for maintenance, but I want you to know that I hit puberty by the time we get in the bedroom. I don't want you to be like, oh, is this one still prepubescent? Because you know, I'm passable. Mm -hmm. I'm passable. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is really weird because in LA, I guess there isn't much of that. I've gotten calm. I've gone on some dates here and there, you know, slept around, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I've had people compliment like, oh, I, I really like your, your body hair. And I'm like, no, you're just seeing body hair. You just don't know what that is. You're like, what is that? And I'm, I have like a hairy chest. Like I'm a guy, guy, so to speak. And um, I, I find it so funny. It's just like, oh, you have been trained here to wax or do whatever it is you do, but you're now fascinated by a somewhat natural body. And it's just like, no, you're crazy. So, oh my God, hair is exotic now there, huh? Oh yeah. Well, you know, or I'm exotic, <laughs> one or the other. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, one more question for you. What is something good that has come out of this entire experience? I think when I started doing comedy, you know, that it's that first six months is when you develop your voice. I feel that my voice had already been developed. I don't, I didn't like, I just, had a head start there because I kind of knew that I wanted to do advocacy and I came out of the comedy um like the people that I liked in 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 comedy who I based my comedy on were people like uh, Wanda Sykes and Paul M Mooney who were able to integrate issues around race and activism and education and comedy and also people like people like Dick Gregory who blended comedy and activism and for him the activism took over but seeing that I that that was all possible and I think having my experience with this got me further further along in knowing who, who I am in comedy and where I want to go. Because for me, it's not about hosting at the punchline. It's about going to colleges and, and talking and having those opportunities as well as engaging in the art of comedy. So I'm very lucky that I've been able to um, kind of harness those two things. That's excellent. No, good for you. Uh, let's see. Now we're going to go into a rapid fire section uh, yes. to ask you some quick rapid fire questions, whatever comes to mind. Uh, what's something most people don't know about you? I have a messy house. <laughs> she stutters. I'm she looking at it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely that because my car, but people know about my car. <laughs> what are three things on your bucket list? You know, I don't know if I really have a bucket list because like, I'm just kind of like, if an opportunity comes, I'd like to do that. I would like to do that. I I would like to meet Chris Elliott. 
Um, so I guess that's one. You probably don't know who Chris Elliott is. The Canadian? He, he was... Shit's Creek. Yeah, or... Yeah, Shit's Creek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you you know him from that, but like from no, he was in something in the childhood. Past. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And he was on Letterman for a long, long, long time. Um, and I really learned to love him there. And I never see him anywhere. Like Got he's it. like, it would be hard to reach him. So maybe, maybe trying to meet Chris Elliott. We'll okay. see. <laughs> if you could go That's anywhere. One. I don't, I don't know. The other. <laughs> if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? I really love the city of Savannah in 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 Georgia I think it's just beautiful and the food is so good and the weather is sometimes okay um it's one of the places I've been that I would love to go to but I mean now I, I guess I'd like to go to Italy because I have n never been there but I need to take my friend who will be the like my friend Heather drove me around Ireland along with my husband and, and our other friend. So she's the person who I need to go and travel with so she can drive because I don't want to drive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, describe yourself in three words. Passionate, which, you know, can be annoying. Um, <laughs> and um, let's say, oh, you know, um, um, I, you know, I, I, could you just ask me who I'd want to go to a, uh, lunch with instead? <laughs> can, can we do that? Oh, we'll see if that one comes up. <laughs> <laughs> what song takes you to your happy place? Oh, what song takes me to my happy place? Well, I think there's a few of them. And, um, let's see, let, let me look at my playlist here. Um, um, okay. The last album I downloaded was Lou Monty, which is like old, old Italian songs. I also have Groove is in the Heart as well as Posse on Broadway. But I think oh, that's the, a good it's song. <laughs> My Posse on Broadway, Broadway is great. <laughs> 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 Um, but I'm going to say, instead of a song, when I go and travel, I put on Br Brother Th 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 Theodore, and he centers me. Again, probably not someone you know, but he was this like crazy, insane comic from the 80s. And he wasn't even a comic. He was more of a one-person show guy who would just yell and scream. And I loved him as a kid. And still love him now and that centers me which is insane because he just talks nonsense excellent i'll have to look him up what is the uh, the one thing you're most afraid of i don't like to touch coins change like i live my life to not do that and mm -hmm. it's i it's probably a touch of ocd that 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 runs in my family. I don't know if it's that, but yeah, I just avoid that. Can't be around, can't be in that. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Okay. <laughs> what is the most delightful word you can think of? You know, as a dyslexic, um, <laughs> words are not always things that we connect with, but I'm going to do a sign language thing. So this is the sign for turtle. 
And I learned that. <laughs> I like that because that's super cute, right? That is adorable. Is that, cute? Yeah. that is adorable. I like that. <laughs> I like nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. this. The I know you guys can't see this on the podcast, but you basically almost like rub your hands together. Then you have your mm-hmm. index fingers and your thumbs come together and then you go, nice, nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, cool. Okay. I, I like that. That's true though. That's a dyslexic person. Again, here's a teachable moment. You would not think, I would think of a word that's delightful in your, I, w- I would think of a hand gesture, but it involved a different finger. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one too. That is- <laughs> it's such a versatile word. <laughs> if you were running for office, what would be your campaign slogan? I- uh, you know what? It's probably the same thing I would tell the kids. Duh, d- don't take any shit. That, yeah. I, I think that, yeah. We're, we should put that Something on a t-shirt. Something with shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the word shit. Even if it's just the emoji, we'll make it easier on you. <laughs> we'll give you a visual. It can make <laughs> yeah. work for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and one more. What have you done that you are most proud of? I Okay, so this is on a video on my YouTube channel which is I once did a 20 minute set where someone asked me for change. Like he was really drunk and he comes over and he asks me for change when I'm doing my set. And I'm like, Oh, I'm on stage. I'm doing a show. Um, And then just as, as like that guy went back to sit down, a fight breaks out outside. And then the cops are called. The guy who gets into the fight runs to the back, probably to flush drugs down the toilet. The cops come and they're back and forth. And I'm just there in the middle of it all. And the cop starts to talk to me because his cop friends are in the back. And then the guy gets arrested. Um, and <laughs> and um, and he's like taken in front of the stage. And I was just like, Hey, it's hard to stutter with a dick in your mouth, huh, everybody? And like, I just did like, like my dirtiest stuff. And I was like, you know, uh, I stutter. I've been interrupted my whole life. This isn't gonna throw me at all. And so I'm very proud that I did that to the four people who were there. <laughs> <laughs> Which now leads to the question, is it difficult to stutter with a dick in your mouth? <laughs> you know, I leave that for you to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I am a virgin. What do you speak of? <laughs> all right, Adina. Well, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I will have all end your- on a dick joke, everybody. End on a dick joke. <laughs> that is a professionalism of Sergio. My tip. I typically end with "When in doubt, spit it out." <laughs> ah! <laughs> that comes after the dick joke. <laughs> yeah, that's all perfect. But thank you so much for doing the podcast. This has been uh, educational and, you know, it's a good reminder for all of us to be mindful of our words. And just because we see them as non-offensive doesn't mean that we could not be offending the person standing next to us or our own relatives. And I will make sure that I have all your website and where people can get your book. So if you guys are able to get the book, do you have your book on audio? Uh, I don't. I really uh, want to, that would be good. but that's that's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, have a great day. It's been a joy talking with you and learning about your journey and opening my eyes and hopefully to our listeners as well. All right, Nina. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much. We all have a story. What's yours? What's yours? What's yours? What's yours? What's yours? What's yours?